People think that feeling and being human about the things that make up our lives and our vulnerabilities compromises our ability to be incredible leaders. And I want to challenge that. Welcome back to the Maria The Till Show. This is an episode on leadership, on business, and kicking ass in it by doing the things that we've been told not to do. You know, I feel really passionately about this, especially as a woman who is self-employed, a woman who has worked in corporate. This episode was inspired by a column I did, The Nine Honey. It was about my interior designers, the ones who have saved my life and been responsible for the redesign and renovation of my house. They're two women of color in business, Jem and Bianca. Jem happens to be a mum. And in the column, I talked about how what makes them exceptional at their job wasn't that they were perfectly capable of technically executing the project but because they were able to bring emotion and heart to what they did and it got me thinking about leadership business and being professional and successful especially because in my past life when I worked in corporate HR what I learned about professional relationships was that and I think so many of us think this it's that in order to be professional we need to be completely devoid of emotion so I want to talk about business and leadership And it is going to be done through a lens of gender. And this episode is for anyone who wants to get the best commercial outcomes and build lasting relationships in the process because you want to explore your capacity to be a leader and you might need a little bit of inspiration to do it differently. This episode is for you. So I guess the best way to open this episode is by taking you through that moment, um, you know, with my interior designer, Jim, from Doe Studio and... We've been working on my house, I guess, for about three months and nearly two months into the renovation project. I remember we were on the phone and Jem sounded a little bit stressed out. And I remember being at the airport when I was on the phone to her and we started talking and she just opened up about some of the personal challenges she was going through. She's not just a woman in business, but she's got a family that she's to provide for. And, you know, between juggling that and and work, it can be a lot sometimes. And She found herself trusting me with, I guess, the trials that she's experienced and, you know, what it's like to establish a business. And I could hear it in her voice, like, you know, she was quite emotional and I was listening and I felt like at the end of it, she was just apologizing a lot, apologizing profusely for offloading that stuff to me. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, like, don't apologize like you're human. If anything, thank you for trusting me. And so, you know, she opened up about what her aspirations were, her struggles, her fears, and we both ended up getting choked up on the call. And and she thanked me for being a listening ear. And I didn't judge her for sharing that at all. I just remember appreciating that she was so honest in sharing who she was and what her experiences were. And so, When I then had a moment, you know, a couple of weeks ago where we're at the tail end of the renovations, there are tradesmen in my house banging about and my house is effectively a work site and I had all these deadlines, my anxiety just peaked and I remember I was curled up on the bed. Bianca was due to come and do a site visit and Jem couldn't make it and I had to go somewhere in the day. I can't remember what it was. It might have been coming here to record a podcast actually and I just couldn't do anything like I was stuck and I was in fetal position on my bed and I was having a cry and I was just so overwhelmed with anxiety. So Jem's called me and she could just hear it in my voice. I tried to be, you know, like, oh no, I'm okay, I'm okay. But she could hear it in my voice. And just as she did, I then opened up and 
I just had to cry. Like, I think at that point I had felt so overwhelmed by all the work on my plate on top of some personal challenges and then the house being renovated. I just felt like I couldn't cope and my anxiety had peaked. And so I just opened up to Jem and I told her this stuff. And, you know, as I cried, then she started to cry on the phone as well. And I remember her saying, I just, I can feel what you're feeling. Like I feel it through the phone. And she stayed on the phone with me until Bianca arrived at the house. And when Bianca got there, she sat down, she debriefed with me and said, you go for a drive for a couple of hours. I've got this, I'll stay in the house. And so I did, I went for a drive and I needed to just get a coffee, sit down in a quiet moment and have another cry and get it out and because they gave me the space to do that and because they assured me that it was okay that I was feeling overwhelmed in the process and it was normal I was able to let the anxiety subside and I felt like a mess you know like here I am dealing with people that I'm meant to be having a professional relationship with and I'm crying in my house in fetal position on the phone unable to stay here and I just felt like a scattered mess but then I stepped back from that and I was like well wait a minute you know beyond the client that they see beyond this professional that they know, they know the work that I do, they know this, they know that. I'm a human. First and foremost, I'm no different to them. I'm a human. And they're just seeing that side of me. And I don't want to pretend this side of me doesn't exist just because I'm existing in a professional relationship. And you know, for anyone who's engaging interior designers to project manage your renovations or to redo your house, You know, I came to realize that one of the biggest qualities essential to them being able to do their job well was not, you know, them being perfectly capable of executing the project management all within budget and creating a beautiful space. It was the empathy, because if they don't have empathy and compassion, how are they going to support you? And so over these months, you know, we've shared our vulnerabilities and I think it's our humanness that actually cemented our relationship as a friendship And they got me because they didn't shy away from the very human things that make me me. And it it makes me think about, you know, my time in corporate because before I was this person in media, I used to work in corporate HR, human resources. I started out as, you know, a commercial intern in a HR team for a very big oil and gas company. And then I did a few roles in talent acquisition, a few roles in HR generalist work. And it was really interesting working with leaders in the business and some female leaders and seeing what the culture was around success in business and leadership and attitudes towards women in particular. And I think for the context of this conversation, it is going to come from a gendered lens because I think that these ideas we have about kicking ass in business and leadership, they are gendered because of the patriarchal history we're coming up in. So just bear that in mind. There are so many other things that affect, you know, our leadership style, whether it's the way you're raised, is it in a collectivist culture, an individualistic culture, you know, your own personal qualities, but gender is a big one. So I spent years working in HR. In particular, you know, I worked in a lot of male-dominated industries and I saw brilliant leaders, like brilliant. And what makes me sad is that a lot of them felt like they needed to hide their humanness. And I'm talking about their fears, their vulnerability, their lives, their personalities at all. Because when and I'm thinking of my last job in particular, I worked for the government. And I remember when I started to show that my humanness, my interests, my personalities, my aspirations, what I was worried about, the things I found hard, it wasn't always received well. 
And so I remember like having a conversation, for example, with a brilliant, brilliant senior manager. And she was talking to me about her kids. And she told me that she refused to speak about her children with executive leadership that was largely comprised of with men because she was worried that talking about her kid in professional contexts would change people's perception of her as a leader. So somehow being a parent and and having a family life compromises your ability to get quality outcomes as a leader. And that was a really weird message to receive, especially as, you know, a young person, a young woman. And I remember then I had another experience where I had an experience with bullying with another manager in 2019. It was fucking awful. Do not recommend. (laughs) I remember there was a new manager. She came on board and I was, you know, a high performing employee and loved, loved by my managers. And I did my job well. And I remember when this manager came on board and the bullying started happening over, I think it would have been like three months, I started to get sick and really anxious with work. There wasn't a day that I went home where I didn't end the day crying, feeling sick about going into the office. And it was a very confusing experience. I had a lot of anxiety and mental health challenges. And I remember having two different responses from two different managers. I remember one told me, I remember sitting down with her and she started to question why my performance was affected. And I started opening up about how this behavior was affecting me. And on top of that, I had a sick relative and a few personal life things because life happens, people, it does. And so there I was confiding in a leader that this is what's going on. And I remember her telling me that I needed to be mindful about the way I was showing up at work because disclosing personal struggles like this and you know having to take time off or crying and and things like that it could be perceived as unprofessional and potentially you know are people able to rely on me anymore it was that sort of a conversation and I felt so backed into a corner because it's like I'm telling you why my performance isn't good I'm telling you what is affecting my ability to show up and instead you're telling me to sort of soldier on like it made me feel like showing emotion made me weaker as a professional And then I had another manager who had the opposite. She listened. She held a space for me and she said, this is not on. She actually made sure that the behavior was investigated and that person ended up being made redundant because they were exposed for bullying behavior, which was very validating. But it was interesting having these two different responses from leaders. And the one who had that response where they sort of said, you know, to be mindful about showing emotion and things like that. We also had a pretty good friendship, I would think, but... I remember she didn't want to be too friendly in the office because, again, it's like compromising my perception as a leader. And I think there's a difference between showing that you're friends with your your subordinates or your team or the people you're responsible for and being unprofessional with them. And I don't think demonstrating that you have rapport and friendship makes you any less professional. And I feel like we're taught, you know, these things that, you know, and I've just talked about this in the context of corporate, but generally speaking, you know, I wonder if you relate to this, no matter what your industry is, if we're talking about business and leadership, we're taught that success looks like very masculine ideals, you know, and and, and I think a lot of different workplace cultures, no matter what it is, they center on this. And it's why it's easier for so many men to assimilate in different, you know, workplaces than it is for women. Because I think in certain business environments, women feel they have to work hard to navigate very masculine workplace norms. And so I remember, you know, in corporate, I've worked in in three private sector organizations that did project the ideal employee as someone who would put in FaceTime at the desk. It doesn't matter how productive you are, but you need to be the first one there 
last one to leave because if you're seen at the desk it's seen that you care and you're investing your time and you know you'd work long hours be super competitive and be extroverted and you know if you were someone who wanted flexible working arrangements for I guess extracurricular things that weren't related to your job maybe you know it's presumed that you're not as serious about it because you have less time to invest in it like these were the ideals and they are masculine ideals for success and they do not account for the fact that and I just little disclaimer there are many different gender identities not just people who identify as men or women there's non-binary folk and transgender people there's you know gender is what it is to you but I guess for the context of this conversation you know typically you're looking at those who fall into more feminine identities this doesn't support that because we know that a lot of say unpaid labor and domestic duties it's often managed by those with feminine identities particularly say women they're the ones who traditionally have had to to manage a lot of say the family responsibilities or domestic duties and so it's not as easy to show up and put in face time at the desk and to be there for long hours and to dedicate you know these crazy amounts of time into your job it's because life happens around that and you don't have to be a woman to relate to that oh hi beautiful humans interrupting this episode with the usual segment of ask maria we've got a couple of questions from our listeners my producer blake is going to throw it to me blake what's my first question we've got a few so i'm actually going to rush through this one amazing hi maria obsessed with your podcast i run a business with my husband and he has always taken charge and likes to do more than me partly because he wants to make my life easier how can i step up without feeling like i'm not taking anything away from him that's a really interesting question because i've i guess it sounds like you want to make sure you are not crossing boundaries that perhaps in the past you've set about who manages what you don't want to make him feel like you are questioning his leadership capacity or his ability to do his job or be emasculating in any way I get that but you stepping up and wanting to have more of a hand in your business you can do that in a way without making it feel like you're taking away from him rather you guys are just shifting gears a little bit and I think it just comes down to communication if you're running a business together I imagine that I don't know how often you do this whether it's quarterly six monthly once a year you sit down and you review you review how things are going your strategy for where you've been what you want to achieve and I think just tie it into the outcomes that you both want you know you want to be more actively involved in the business and to support the business that you both share and maybe you want to shift the workload. I think communicate that because it can be done in a way that doesn't feel like you're distrusting of his capacity or you're taking things away. Just let him know you want to share the load. And I think, you know, there might be times where you have capacity to take on less or you have capacity to take on more. Keep that open dialogue because things will evolve and that's okay. Beautiful. Now, are we ready for the next one? Yes, I am. So my mom is a CEO and such a magnificent leader. I've always looked up to her and wanted to be like her, but she's told me she'll never let me work in a position similar to hers due to hardships she's experienced as a woman in power. Should I take her word? I love your mum, but she has to let you experience things for yourself. And I had this experience when I was a, an intern. I had a, a female leader who was very open with me about a lot of the hardships that she experienced because at the time there were not a lot of opportunities for women at the top and so she told me that the culture then was you've kind of got to 
to climb over other women to get what you want. And it did inform her practice. And she was very wary and cautious. And I think she was well-intentioned. But you cannot, you personally, I think, for you to flourish and figure out your leadership capacity and what you want and what makes you happy and where you thrive, it's not going to happen if you choose courses of action based on fear because of what somebody else experienced all you can do and if I were you what I would do is take it with a grain of salt and have an awareness of what the context used to be like but things are changing and things need to change and you can't be a part of that and experience your I I guess your capacity to do things if you were going to be making decisions worried about what might go wrong based on what someone else has experienced you know lovingly appreciate your mum for what she shared but you're gonna have to find your own two feet Hey, Maria, look, I'm not exactly a leader, but I am always being told to be more assertive and sure of myself. I find this hard to do as a woman and don't know why. Why, as women, are we scared of taking up too much space, especially in workplaces? This is such a great question, and it's something I speak about beyond just women. I think anyone who, if you're listening, you could be a person of colour in media, and I say that because this is something that I experience as well. You could just be someone from an underrepresented community trying to take up space in, in arenas where you don't see yourself. And, you know, for this particular person, I think, you know, one of the reasons that you as a woman feel afraid to take up space, um, you know, especially professionally, is because maybe you haven't seen it done before by people like you and as I've explored in the episode I think for a lot of women in business in particular you know we're trying to come up in a world that is patriarchal where structures and systems are put in place to reward you know people for fitting like I said masculine ideals for success and then the higher up the food chain you go the more homogenous it gets and the less likely it is that you see people like yourself so when you don't have that representation you're trying to be something that you don't often see and you know in the previous question we talked about how for a lot of women getting to that top spot has come at a price and the price has been taking it away from other women And so when you're trying to succeed with these notions of scarcity in a world that has not been built for you, it can be hard. But that's why it's so important for you to take up space and for people who have not been seen to take up space because you need to change the narrative around what it takes to succeed, what it takes to be a leader and who deserves to be in these rooms, because I can promise you, you do take up space and don't be afraid. Thank you so much for your listener questions. Now let's get back to the episode. So I think as well, when it comes to business and leadership, there's a stigma around, you know, if you're somebody with parental responsibilities or even just with extracurricular interests, it's a barrier to leadership. Like having things that decorate your life or make up your life somehow compromise how serious you are about your job. And, you know, I I remember when I was working in corporate at the time I was doing social media, I was just starting to post about beauty and makeup and I started to have conversations with management around needing flexible working arrangements. And I remember them saying like, usually flexible working arrangements, like, yeah, we granted to part-time mums. And it's like, what about people who don't want to be mums, don't want to be parents, and we just have other things that are important to us in life. And it was like me asking for flexible working for something that wasn't parenthood was like, oh, is she serious about her job? Like, does this compromise how you know committed she is to her business? And I think that's why, especially after the pandemic, if you're a manager, if you're a leader, if you're a business, you've got to get around the fact that people have lives 
and that creating flexible environments where people can be themselves and show up for what brings them joy outside of their job, that's what's going to keep you competitive because I think people are getting disillusioned with workplaces that don't allow them to be them, whether that's having parental responsibilities or personal interests, whatever it is you know, your life matters and it's not a barrier to leadership. And I remember another conversation I had, this is really cooked. It was a conversation I was having with a man about women (laughs) in business. And I remember they said something to the effect of, you know, the reason that women face barriers to progression and, you know, attaining leadership roles is because they're typically the ones who go on to have kids and therefore they need to take a lot of time off and they end up being a cost to the business. I know that's that's cooked. It's actually a cooked perception, but it's not unique. It is prevalent and people do think that way. And then, you know, if that's true, if you think that's why women don't, you know, attain leadership roles and why they don't progress, well, what about the women who don't aspire to become mothers, but they face the same barriers? And I can tell you why. We do have very limited ideas about business and leadership and success and why typically it is those with feminine identities who miss out. It's because historically we have workplaces and businesses and top leadership roles given to certain kinds of people and that has created limited ideas about what leadership, business and success is. So when you look at these arenas and when you look at the history of the world, like we do have a patriarchal society And so once upon a time, you know, men served as the masters of the household and breadwinners were largely male. And when you look at work opportunities for anyone who wasn't a man, they were really limited and virtually non-existent. And it's not to say that women and those with alternative gender identities didn't work. Oh, they worked. They just worked in an unpaid capacity and did the family, you know, family roles as wives, as daughters, and, and once upon a time as slaves. You know, women attained the rights to work vote have financial independence far later than their male counterparts and so that means that early theories about leadership early theories about business and about work they were based on a very homogenous group of people and that's men and they served as the model for business leadership and success and it was built on gendered norms And so that's why these ideas lack qualities that women and other gender identities have. The world wasn't built to support that. And it's why to this day, we have a lack of representation, recognition, work-life balance, flexible environments, unconscious bias, equal pay. It's because we're still trying to catch up and progress beyond our past. And those ideas are hard to shed. So anyone who doesn't fit those dominating groups They're seen as less competent, qualified and accepted. And so we do have a crisis of confidence for people who don't fit traditional ideas of leadership and business and success, but that needs to change. And it's it's why, you know, that manager that I talked about earlier, it's why she thought having babies were a hindrance to her success. It's why that other manager told me that if I were to show emotion, it's compromising my ability to just soldier on and get on with it. People think that feeling and being human about the things that make up our lives and our vulnerabilities and our fears and our hopes and our dreams we've been taught to think that our humanness compromises our ability to be incredible leaders and I want to challenge that so again and and now again with the agendered focus if we look at what research tells us and this is for anyone who questions this about them if you question whether your humanness makes you a good leader research literally tells us that teams led by women are more engaged and have better performance why 
because they rank substantially higher than their male counterparts on crucial leadership qualities like wisdom and compassion. And then that translates to business and financial results. By wisdom, I mean having the courage to do what needs to be done even when it's hard. And by compassion, I mean having care and empathy towards others combined with an intention to support and help. And that's what I I started with. I told you that story about Jem because she was able to get good business outcomes for me because she had compassion. And being human, you know, being a compassionate leader, it's not something to be feared and it's certainly something that can be learned. So, you know, if you're someone who's listening and you want to know how you can be an effective leader and the best leader you can be, I want to start by telling you that, you know, being wise and being compassionate, it doesn't make you weak. Having a heart, building relationships, being you, it doesn't make you weak or compromise your ability to do the job. It makes you better. It makes you human. And I think being human means, you know, and in the context of leadership, it means being unafraid of being empathetic, being inclusive, being free thinking, team oriented, communicating, showing your emotions and receiving another person's emotions because that's how you build relationships. That's how you empathize. And so I think two of the biggest qualities to challenge these stigmas that one, to be successful in business and leadership, you need to fit masculine ideals. And two, that having parental responsibilities or a personal life compromises your ability to be a leader. I'm going to challenge that because I think there are two things that are essential to being a leader that we're not taught about often enough. And one, it's resilience. And I think resilience comes from owning your shortcomings and your perceived failures, your struggles and your hardship. You don't have to hide that to be good enough, to lead with conviction, to be strong Sharing the things that have potentially not gone right for you, the things you struggle with, I think that's how you build resilience. When, you know, we all go through shit, the best leaders aren't robots who haven't faced a damn thing. The best leaders are those who have faced it and learned something and are unafraid of showing that side of themselves because going through things and having hardships, it doesn't compromise your value. Don't feel shame for what you find hard. And I think that's what I got from that experience with Jem. She didn't feel shame for struggling at moments with juggling a business with the family. She just shared it. And the fact that she was able to share it, manage that moment and then overcome it, it made me respect her even more and connect to her even more. And then when I had that moment, I trusted her more. So know that you have value to offer others and their opinions don't change that back yourself and inherently believe in what you bring to the table because your life and your vulnerabilities are what make you human and therefore that's how others will connect with you. And the second thing is emotional intelligent because I think the most powerful leaders are hugely self-aware but they're also tapped into their team's emotions and the emotions of the people around you and you can't do that if you're afraid of showing that side of you or if you've blocked it off. Know what your strengths are and learn how to skillfully use language to emotionally connect with the people around you and do it, you know, learn how to do it in a professional sphere because emotions aren't incongruent with the professional world. Feelings and business, they do align. Even though we've been taught otherwise, you know, especially for women, that hysterical female trope. No, emotions are essential to your ability to connect, engage and grow your relationships with others. So don't fear that. 
you know I think that's what's going to make you more capable of connecting and and like I said research shows us that leading with compassion and wisdom it does lead to better business and financial outcomes but forget the bottom line it just makes you a better human and I think you're going to enjoy your work and and the impact that you have on other people's lives with so much more purpose and fulfillment and so these were just my thoughts on business and leadership and I think It's so important to speak about these experiences and the things that underpin our thoughts, words and actions. Let's hold it to the light and overhaul it because so many of us are striving to fit a model of success that doesn't feel true to us. And I cannot tell you how many messages I've got from people on this topic where they felt validated by this because they don't have it in them to be overly authoritarian or cold. They don't feel like being this way inspires confidence in others and inspires others to be the best version of themselves and if that's how you're feeling don't do it it's okay to be human and i've learned the most powerful professional relationships and the best outcomes happen when you are honest about the things that make you human 